We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. You know, this morning I want to tell you about, I want to talk about something called, and it'll make sense in a minute, called the things they carried. You know, here in the U.S., today's a very special day, and again, I'm not going to reiterate what my brother said because it was so right on point. But you know, so many times in America, this, this weekend and Monday gets overshadowed by parties, picnics, barbecues, you know, all the fun in the sun and on the beach. It gets over, the real meaning of what Monday signifies gets overshadowed by all of that. Now that's a great, that's, that's, it's a fun day for most people, but you know, it's interesting that we don't realize why uh, many people don't even realize what that really, what that day really means. And I'm thankful today that I believe today you know what that means. And if you didn't before you walked in here, you do now. You know, originally Memorial Day was called Decorations Day. How many of you knew that? It was called Decorations Day. And actually the, 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 the uh, traditions that follow that, that that surround Memorial Day actually went all also go all the way back. Its roots go all the way back to the Revolutionary War, where widows and and family members and children, the widows would go together together, and they would go to the graves of the they would go to the graves of their husbands of their loved ones that had died in the war, and they'd place wreaths and flowers on their graves. And they would think about just the loss, and they had no idea. Of course, back then, you know, uh, you know, and throughout uh, other wars, our, our war in Vietnam, our soldiers came home to a very bitter and bad place. They didn't have the welcome home that they deserved. They came back to a very hostile environment that didn't see them as heroes, but saw them as just wasting their time. Many of those men and women that went back then, they went to the Vietnam War, they came back. And they came back, changed their lives, never the same again. You know, it's interesting that in the, in the World War II, more than 12% of the population of the United States fought in the war. Today, that percentage is less than 0.5%. That's a pretty interesting thing, I thought. I'm going to read to you a quote. This is from a woman named Carol Resch. And she, her son is actually an army captain. His name is Mark Resch. He was killed in Iraq. And she said this about Memorial Day. She said, it's a fun holiday for people. It's an extra day off work. She went on to say, it's not that they're doing it out of malice. It just hasn't affected them. You know, it's easy to talk about Memorial Day and things that are hard when it's easy to talk about things like that when you ha- they have not affected you in any way. But I know that there are many, the many of the men and even the women that were standing up here this morning, they fought alongside men that today are not on this earth. And today they sit in this chair and year after year they remember. They remember that because it affected them. Many of you in this room, it affected you physically. You might have come back with a limp. Some may have come back from the war not having limbs. 
Some come back with, with mental scars. And back then in the day during Vietnam, they didn't know. PTSD was all about. They didn't have a name for it. And honestly, most people didn't even care. But yet these men were traumatized by what they had seen. And today, more than a one million of our soldiers have died in war. In 2007, Kent and I had the opportunity to go to Arlington, to the Arlington National Cemetery. And it was a very powerful time. We got to go to the, go to the uh, Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. You know, it wasn't in 1931, the very first soldier was laid to rest in Arlington Cemetery. The very first one. And you know, it was called Decorations Day all throughout the years. In fact, during the Civil War, when the, when the North was against the South, they, they couldn't agree. They didn't want to have a, one together, so they had their own separate ones. One for the North, one for the South. They couldn't come together on that. But then later in 1971... In 1971, the U.S. government declared a federal, de a federal holiday as the, as the last Monday in May to be Memorial Day for all military soldiers of every branch that had ever died in battle and died in service of their country. Many of you might not know, but and I just found this out recently, that Monday, and I want to encourage you on Monday... The, uh, veterans of the Iraq war and, and those who fought in Iraq and Afghanistan, there's a campaign called Go Silent. And on Monday at 3 p.m., they're asking all Americans to just stop. Whether you're having a barbecue or a picnic or out at the beach, they're asking all Americans at 3 o'clock to stop for just a moment of silence. Just to take a break and remember why you get the day off. Remember why we're here today and why we get to be in this church today. You know, just the other day, this just happened by accident. We were driving through Louisiana. We were in West Monroe, Louisiana. And Kent and I, we saw some people along the side of the road. And they had, some of them have really big flags. And you could see them assembling together. And, you know, we thought, what's going on? So we kind of drove. You know, we're nosy. You know, we just travel all over the world. We just kind of jump in everybody else's. We just want to find out what's going on. So we drove by and there were these two wreckers uh, over the overpass of the freeway. And they had a gigantic flag hanging from those two wreckers. And we looked at that and we said, okay, something's going down here. We need to find out what that is. So we went down where the, this lady had this gigantic flag and she was holding it. And we pulled up in that driveway into that, into that uh, parking lot and got down and asked her. And she said, she said right now, she said, we are, we are welcoming home a soldier who died in World War II. His body was just identified. It had been laying, apparently there's a place in Hawaii, she believed, where all the soldiers that they have that have not been identified that have died in battle, they go there until, and today we have ways of being able to identify them where we, we were not able to. And this soldier was able to, to be identified, and after all these years, his family was able to finally put some kind of closure on him and we he he got the proper welcome home that he so greatly deserved 
And we stood there and many were saluting. Many were saluting alongside the road and others were just waving their flags as that hearse. And it was, it was preceded by about 30 motorcycle riders that all had flags. Veterans that were riding coming in and he had, he had, they were just, it was a great tribute. And every one of those motorcycle riders, boy, I'd be afraid to meet them in a, in a dark alley because some of them were kind of scary. But I'm telling you what, there was pride on their face. And every single one of them, as they drove by slowly, they acknowledged you. Thank you. Thank you for standing with us. The lady next to me, she told me, she said, thank you so much for standing with the family. The family rode behind that hearse as they brought him in. How many of you know there's many men and women who never had that kind of welcome? You know, our oldest son, Leroy, our oldest son, Leroy, when he was, after he had graduated school, he was just really lost and couldn't find his way. And one day he came to us and he said, Mom and Dad, I think I want to join the military. Now, as a mom, can I just tell you everything in, in me went, No! No, you can't do that! But then wisdom spoke and said, well, son, let's talk about that. <laughs> Amen. And I mean, just every mama cell in my body was just, oh, my gosh. Because it's not like years ago, when you, or not many years ago, but when, you know, back when everything was calm and before all the wars went on, people just joined because they wanted to get college paid for. But in the day since, since, uh, since Desert Storm began and Desert Shield and we began all this, all these wars overseas, since that time began, all of a sudden now it's not when you joined, it's not a matter of if you're going to be deployed, it's when you are going to be deployed. And as a mama, it scared me to my very core. And my son said, well, it's a, I have a choice, you know, I'm kind of deciding between the military and Christ for the nations. And we thought, what? That's kind of, you couldn't have picked two different sides of the spectrum. Now, as ministers, everything in it is wanted to say, go for Christ for the nations, go for worship. He was a guitar worship leader. We're like, please do that. But we knew that we couldn't say that because he was 19 already, and we knew that he was a man, and he had to make that decision on his own. So we begin to talk that out, and we begin to weigh the pros and cons of both things. And finally, one day, he came to us. He said, Mom and Dad... I decided. Okay. What'd you decide? He said, Mom, he said, I'm going to join the military. And I'm not kidding you. Just a lump settled in my stomach like you cannot believe. I said, okay. So talk to me. What made you make your decision? He said, Mom and Dad, I don't feel like I have the discipline and the structure in my life to be successful. And I know the, the military will give me that. How many of you know that's true? And I'm not telling you, know, this comes from the boy that we used to have to literally, I had to wake him up to go to work in the mornings. I had to wake him up to go to school when he was in school. He just didn't have, I knew that everything he said was absolutely 100% correct. And that was the wisest thing that I had ever come out of that young man's mouth. And so I could not argue with that. So my son joined up, and I'm telling you, when he got on that bus to go to boot camp, basic training, when he got on that bus, he was a scared young boy. When he was raising his hand, saying his oath, getting swear, sworn in, I'm telling you, the look on his face was like, my God in heaven, what have I done? 
I have signed my life away. And we told him, son, welcome to the United States Army. You now are property of the U.S. government. This ain't War of Warcraft. This ain't video games. You can't just change your mind and decide you're not going to do it anymore. Call of Duty. It ain't Call of Duty. You don't get to hit the reset button and start over again. And I'm telling you, that boy went out, and when he got on that bus, he looked back at us like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> and I was scared for him, but I'm telling you, I didn't cry. I didn't cry. I said, I said, son, we're so proud of you. You made a decision, and we're proud of you. We stand with you. Whatever you we told him, whatever you decide, we stand with you. And I'm telling you, every day of basic training, we wrote to him. Ken and I wrote to him separate letters. He got a letter every single day when he was at basic training. And you know, he said, and he wrote to us the same. And we got letters from him. And I'm telling you, those letters, when he first started out, they were heart-wrenching. I mean, they were just, I'm, I, I would just cry through every one of them because I could hear that he was scared and tired and worn out and pushed be, beyond any limit that he had ever been pushed before. And he was, and, but soon we saw a pattern that after he offered these letters began to go on, all of a sudden his letters began to get more, I could hear the confidence start coming out in his words. I could hear that, 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 that all of a sudden that fear had turned into, I can do this. Mom, they're pushing me, but all of the, I, I, I can do this. I'm scoring this and he started telling us all these things he was how he was rating and scoring and all his you know whatever he was doing and I won't go into all of that but but I'm telling you Ken and I had to now we have family members who are in the military but no one close close that we understood the lingo how many of you know that you've been in the military it is an all new language it's an all new lingo of abbreviations and acronyms and whatnot. And we didn't know what in the world was going on. And he couldn't tell us and nobody would tell. So we literally were learning as we went. And so when my husband, when my husband, when my son came home for one of his breaks, finally, after he had gotten, uh, he was almost done with, I think he was almost done with basic or maybe it was afterwards. He came home and I had kept all these letters and I had put them in a scrapbook according to date that he had sent them to us. And I put them in there and, you know, so that we could read them and so that you could see the transformation. And uh, he, so when he came home, he looked through that. And I mean, Kent and I went nuts. We went out and we bought all kinds of stickers and, and uh, you know, everything that we could go army, army strong. I mean, we were proud. We were proud army parents. T-shirts, proud army dad. I mean, we just, we were like all in. And so my son is looking through this scrapbook and he looked at one of my stickers. And I wish I had brought a picture of it. He looked at one of the stickers and it was the two boots with the gun hit sitting in it. And, the, and he said, oh, mom, no, you can't have that sticker in there. Oh, no, I love it. It's awesome. I'm so proud of you. Oh, no, mom, you can't have that. That means I died. What? No, that means, that's, that means I died. In, that's my boots. That means I died. I couldn't have taken that thing fast off. I took it off, ripped it off there, tore it away, threw it in the trash. Woo, that ain't, no, I'm, that's, I just took it off. No, that's not, that ain't about to happen. You know, when I was in high, when I was in uh, college, I read this book and it was called The Things They Carried. 
Well, maybe, and I, I had forgotten all about this. And I went back and I read, this book was about the life of one young man who had joined the war to go to Vietnam. And he went in there as a very young, very, very, very uh, innocent, naive young man. And it talked about, he, he described in great detail, and I have to tell you that it was a really difficult book for me to read. It was a, it, I had always lived a very sheltered life, and what I read was very difficult and very hard for me to understand. But one of the things that he centered on was the things in their rucksack that they had to carry. How every single thing in their rucksack had a purpose, depending on their position in the, in the military, what they had to do. They had to carry these things. And I don't know if you've ever seen one of these rucksacks, if you've never had anybody in the military, never actually seen one of them, but they are heavy. They, they are heavy. I, 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 I granted, some of them probably weigh, what, 60 pounds, 70 pounds? They're heavy, super long, big, and heavy. But one of the things that this young man in this book talked about was how they would carry mementos from place to place where they would, be, where they would go for this. For the, in the mountains, they would, tre- they would trek through in every place they would carry things. But the, 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 what they carried determined how valuable they were to them. Because it added weight to their rucksack. As they went through the mountains and climbed down hills and climbed up mountains and went in, went in the trenches and crawled out of them, they carried a weight that only added to what they already had to carry. And I thought that was really interesting. And that made me wonder, made me wonder what things do we value that we carry around all the time? What things do we need in our life that we carry? And what things do we carry that just weigh us down? Also in 2007, my husband and I and our boys, we went to, we went to Africa. We went to Ghana. And we got to go through one of the slave castles there called the Cape Coast Slave Castle. That was one of the, one of the, uh, one of the uh, last remaining slave castles in the world. And there was 40 of them at one time. And this castle was literally where they took the Africans and the slaves and it was a waiting period where they would wait until they were shipped off on ships and dispersed all over the world. It was the beginning of the British slave trade. And it was interesting to me that above, they had these dungeons, and they had the dungeons separate for the women, they had a dungeon separate for the men. And these dungeons, these slaves endured so many inhumane things that you and I cannot even conceive. They lived through things that we cannot even understand what they went through and above those dungeons where they were literally in 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 you know chest sized feces and they were naked and their food was just thrown down to them like animals and in the women's dungeon where they had women that would get that were pregnant and literally because the situ because their circumstances were so bad and so grim and so horrifying those young women when they would have those babies would take those newborns and would get them by the feet and would crash their skulls against the walls cuz they could not bear bringing in a life to face what they were going through 
There was a door there at the, where every slave that went through that door called. And above it, it said, the door of no return. And the minute that they walked through that door and got on that ship, they knew that they would never see their family member again. I want you to know that there are people today that still carry the baggage and the wounds and the struggles that happened back then. You and I might not understand what they went through. But I'm here to tell you that those are things in the past. And it's just like the, just like the Civil War in Vietnam and what happened there. Those are ugly things in our, in our past, in our history that we don't want to think about. Because it's ugly. It ain't pretty. But there are things that we never need to forget lest we repeat them again. Amen. How many of us carry scars today? You know, it's, it's kind of funny. We, my husband and I were talking about how, you know, sometimes you get, uh, you get military veterans together and, you know, we've kind of, and we've seen this ourselves where, you know, literally they'll say, well, man, I, I got this scar, you know, because every scar is attached to a story. Amen. I got this scar when I was climbing up that mountain and man, they were looking right at me and I just, I mean, they just have these, and then you have the next one that has to outdo that. So, oh, well, man, I got this. And they're starting to, you know, pull their shirts up. Well, I got this scar. And, woo, okay. Man, everybody's, whoa. And then the next one, man, I got this scar. And they're, before you know it, they're taking off all their clothes. Whoa, whoa, wait. Okay, I get it. I, I know it's probably really bad. They start showing because every scar I can guarantee you that every scar that they had, they can tell you exactly what happened right before they got it. They can tell you exactly where they were when it happened. They can tell you exactly, exactly what happened at that moment. Because every scar carries a story. And sometimes after that event happens, many times you get in a fog and you can't hardly remember because of the trauma of what had happened. Many of our soldiers today, they struggle with PTSD of things that they've seen, things that they've experienced. But let me bring this home today. There are many of you probably in this room that have suffered from a loss of a loved one. My, my father was killed in a car accident, a very tragic car accident, the day I, uh, 30 days before Kent and I got married. Many of you can say the same thing for loved ones. Maybe you've lost someone in a, in a, a motor vehicle accident. Maybe you've lost a child. Maybe you've lost a family member to cancer, diabetes, or some other illness. But they're gone from your life and you've experienced that loss. You know, here in Florida a couple of weeks ago, and even in Texas in our home state, school shootings that took the lives of young, innocent young women and men Snatched away their future just like that. There are women who have, have gone and experienced having abortions, maybe some young in life, some before they were ever born again, ever saved. Maybe some of you have lost loved ones through suicide. Whatever loss, and I know that sounds heavy, but today is a very solemn day, amen? Some of you may have, may have experienced loss in a different way. The loss of a marriage. The loss of a spouse through betrayal. 
The loss of even a job, of a business. Maybe financial failure where you've had to file bankruptcy or had repossessions in your past. Maybe even in your present. You've had to file for bankruptcy. You've lost it all. Don't you know that every one of those tragedies, every one of those failures, every one of those things begin to add up in our life and we begin to have scars on the inside of us. I don't care whether you, I don't care what it is, whether you struggle from abuse from in your childhood, domestic abuse, I don't care what it is. There's always scars that attach itself to those traumatic events. Sometimes we're the victim of our own self-sabotage. Sometimes people struggle with alcoholism, drug addiction, some porn addiction, some others addiction to just other things. And it, 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 like, like a venomous snake, it attaches itself around their life and just chokes the life right out of them. Some of you have scars on your body that you can see. Others you can't. Because they're in their emotional scars that you deal with, they're mental scars. And those scars carry a lot of guilt and shame and disappointment, sorrow and failure and regret. Some maybe embarrassment. But it I love this scripture, and you can put this up on the screen. It says there, but this is this is a, a wonderful scripture. It says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about tomorrow. Will worry about its own things. Sufficient is the day. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We have enough to carry today that we have to deal with in our everyday life, whether it's our marriage, our job, our position where we work. But oftentimes we carry these extra things that just kind of weigh us down, things that we just. You know, when we got saved, sometimes we tell people, man, when you get saved, it's just going to be all roses. Everything's going to be great. Woo! Oh, happy day. And then when reality sets in, that they haven't let go, let go of those things. And then all of a sudden we begin to carry them like this, even though we sang about it all this morning, about how Jesus died on that cross to set us free. How he died on that cross to carry everything. That so weighs us down so much and so heavily. How many of you have seen that commercial about Capital One? It says, no commercial intended, but it says, what's in your wallet? Right? Cute commercial. But I asked you this morning, what's in your rucksack? What are you carrying today on your back? That has got you so weighed down that you can't even enjoy your marriage. You can't enjoy your children. You can't enjoy your life because of worry, because of fear, because of rejection. What wounds are you carrying today that you still deal with on a daily basis? You know, uh, many of you may not remember, but the last time I was here, I was walking like this. Do y'all remember that? I was walking like this. Looked like somebody from The Walking Dead. You know. <laughs> You're laughing because you've seen it. <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah. I know. It's terrible. But <laughs> and I'm telling you, literally for four years, I could not walk. I was in so much pain. 
And I was, my, I had walked with a limp and had walked just literally every step. I was in so much pain. Even so much later, it got to where I didn't even have to walk. I could just sit. And I could sit still. I could sit with my knee bent, my knee straight. But it hurt. It was so painful. And I went through that for, for literally four years. My muscles had literally on this leg had grown deformed. When I looked down at my legs, this one looked different than my right. My left look, leg looked different than my right. Because it had grown to that pain. That pain had caused me. And I lost all of the muscle tone that I had in my legs at all. I lost all the strength in my legs because I had waited so long. This, my good leg started becoming my bad leg also. I was so afraid to have this surgery though. But I'm a visual person so I did something kind of crazy. I went on YouTube and I looked up full knee replacements. Okay. And I, I looked up this. I looked up and so I watched from beginning to end two full, full knee replacements. From beginning to end. From the time they prep you to the time they send you out the door. Now, most of you might say, oh my gosh, how did you do that? That's crazy, you know. Didn't you get more afraid? Well, for me, it, it kind of made sense. Because I could see what they were doing. You know, half the time we're afraid of things that we don't know. Things that we don't understand, we get afraid of, right? So when I saw what they were doing, I'm like, ooh, I recognize that. That's a chisel. Oh my goodness, that's a drill saw. That's a hole saw. That's a dremel. I mean, they're using all these tools. Now, I have to tell you, I might look girly this morning, but I am my father's son. Okay? So if you throw me in the kitchen with utensils and appliances, something is going to blow up, break, or burn. Okay? You just stay quiet over there, Booth. Something bad is going to happen if I get in the kitchen. And my family all know it. Okay? So if you ever have the, you know, disparity of coming to my home and eating my food, I promise you I probably won't be cooking it. He'll be cooking it. But when I saw this surgery and I saw all the tools they were using, if they had seen, if I'd seen anything that looked like a spatula, I'd have been terrified. Anything that looked like a blender or, you know, I'd have been like, oh, Lord. But everything that they used, I was like, <laughs> I said, my, I told my doctor, why can't I just go to Home Depot and you sterilize them? I'd save myself about $30,000. But he wouldn't let me do it. He said, no, I don't like to be told no. But this surgery was literally a very, very difficult traumatic surgery. It was a, it was difficult. And I'm telling you, it was, um, it was rough to see. It was rough to watch. There's a lot of nerve damage. I mean, they just, and I, you know, I had seen the end, you know, they don't, you know, my doctor was, he put literally, I have a scar from here to here on my knee. Can y'all see? I ain't going to show you what it is, but it's from here to here. And that's when I saw what that scar looked like and I saw the staples that they would be using, it absolutely horrified me. It was the ugliest thing I had ever seen. And I looked like, I felt I looked like, I looked like Frankenstein, you know. And so I looked at that and I literally took a picture of my knee the night before. 
And I was kind of just having my, in the bathroom. I literally, I sat there and I took it and I looked at my knee and I'm just having kind of a quiet moment of reflection. And I looked at my knee and I thought, you're never going to look like that again. You're never going to be the same again. And that surgery, as brutal as it was, the therapy afterwards was even worse. After the happy drugs wore off, Jesus helped me. It was bad. It was ugly. And I'm telling you, it was, it was not good. When we were in the hospital, they, you know, they got my wheel. They I had a wheelchair. Obviously, they have to wheel you out in. And I had been in a wheelchair for, for a while every time we traveled. And they made sure that I went home with a walker and a, a walker and a, um, a cane. I had all my stuff together. And then they brought out, they said, well, do you want a, do you want a bedside bedpan? And that's when my husband said, oh, no, uh-uh. <laughs> no, that's where we draw the line. She's going to get up and go. And none of this beside the, uh-uh, none of that. That's where he drew the line. I am not doing that. You're going to get your rear end up and you're going to the bathroom. I said, well, you're going to have to help me. Okay, no problem. But you're, no, that's where he drew the line. <laughs> like, mm-mm, no, that ain't happening. So, you know, it was, it, it was, uh, I, some of it I remember, some of it I don't. Some of it I'm kind of embarrassed of what I did when I found out later. But, you know, they're happy drugs. You don't always remember everything. But, you know, it's interesting that with those staples that were in my knee, uh, all the way down my knee, I asked my surgeon before, I said, look, other people that, and I interviewed, I asked a lot of people that had had full knee replacement. And I asked them, can't you, can't you just use glue? They use glue. Can, can you not use some glue there? Like Gorilla, something like Gorilla Glue or something? It's strong. Just something like that. Don't you, you know, they, they did it. <laughs> And he said, well, two things. Not go- I don't ever use glue. Two reasons why. The first thing is it, has, it can have a tendency to come apart. And if it comes apart, you'll get an infection in there that will be worse than anything else. And we'll have to go in and do it all over again. And, you know, infection can spread quickly like that. He said, you don't want that. And secondly, your knees carry the most weight of your entire body. And the, the pressure and the weight that is on your two knees, you don't want to put that on glue. You need something to hold it together to make sure that it can carry the weight of your body. And it was ugly, and I'm not kidding you. I can, I can, with all honesty, my husband sitting there to witness, I can tell you that literally almost every day my therapist came to the house, and then when I went to therapy after a couple of weeks, I literally cried every day that I had. I, I had to go to therapy every day. And I'm telling you what, it was unbearable, and there were no happy pills. <laughs> there was no happy drugs. <laughs> And it was awful. And I said, I can't do this. I just cannot do this. I would look at my leg and it wouldn't move. Nothing would happen. And they told me, they said, the key to this surgery is physical therapy. And if you don't push yourself to do it, you're not going to ever walk right again. And so I did what they said. And I cried and I cried. And I just, it was all I could do. But now I can do this. Yeah, baby. Yeah. And I can wear these. That's a great thing. And it changed my life. 
But can I tell you that during that healing process, one of the most painful things was when those staples, those nasty little staples, when they began to come and wiggle out of my knees, out of my leg, I'm telling you, every time I'd move a certain direction, they would poke. It was like somebody stabbing you with needles. And I'm telling you, it would it just sent me to the roof. But I thought about something interesting, not then, because I wasn't thinking anything but pain and give me something to make this go away, you know. But how many of you know that when God wants to heal you of something that has been in your life, that sometimes it has to wiggle out because as your, as your body, as your mind, as your soul begins to heal up, all of a sudden that those things that are foreign to your body and foreign to your spirit-filled life, they have to come out because they don't belong there. And your body, like those staples, starts rejecting them. Why? Because your body starts, your flesh starts healing up. And you cannot become completely healed until those staples wiggle out and, they, and they're pulled out sometimes, which they did. And that is sometimes the most painful part of that. And sometimes people don't want to acknowledge. They don't want to go through the process. They don't want to go through rehab. They don't want to get help. They don't want to get counseling because it's too hard. But sometimes you get, you got to go through a really dark place before you ever come into the light. Before you get healed, sometimes you have to walk through with that rucksack, with everything you're carrying, until you realize, hey, Jesus took that for me. I don't need that anymore. Hey, Jesus took that for me, so I don't have to carry that anymore. I don't have to carry that failure anymore. I don't have to carry that fear. I don't have to carry that loss. I can remember. I can never forget. But I don't have to carry the pain of it. Instead, Jesus has the way of taking all that pain and turning it into purpose. When I was born, I was one of the fifth babies in the United States at that time to have a deformity of my intestines. Instead of them being like this, mine were smooth. And while smooth sounds nice, it doesn't work for your digestive tract. Couldn't keep anything down. I was very, very sick. The hospital in California where, where I was at, they left, they just wanted to leave me for dead. And when I weighed six months, I weighed less than I did when I was born. And finally, there was a doctor in New Mexico that said, I can do something. I've, and literally, the hospital in California said, just told my parents, we're going to make her comfortable until she dies. Because it's inevitable. And my mom and my dad, who were not Christian believers back then, they were Catholic, but they had faith. They, they didn't understand what they had faith, but they knew that that was not what was supposed to happen. And they didn't give up on me. And they heard of this doctor in California, and they, they took me out of this hospital. And those doctors, all of the staff, all of their executive CEOs, everybody sat around this big table and told, threatened them that they were going to report them to seek child protective services. They said she won't even make it out in the parking lot. She's going to die before she, and if, they, and if she does, we are filing charges against you. Where you are unfit parents and you were never, you should have never been allowed to have children. But my mom and dad stood firm. They said, we will not give up on our little girl. And this doctor in California did a surgery on me. And today I call it my nine hole golf course. 
because it was just nine holes all in my stomach. And it's ugly. It's not pretty. It ain't sexy. I don't show it to anybody. But back then, they didn't put staples. They used this green string, this suture string that was really thick. You know how I know that? Because when I was in elementary school and junior high, it started growing out of my stomach. As my stomach grew and as I grew, it started growing out. And so every like two weeks, I had to go and get a cut. I was, I was the freak of nature. I actually, people, my friends wanted, me to t- wanted to take me to show and tell. I was a freak show. So today, after having two children and going on with, you know, my life and whatnot and having gained a little bit of weight here and there, my nine-hole golf course has now turned into Florida sinkholes. Oh, yeah. Now, some of you don't understand that, but you'll get that like on the way home. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's kind of, it's you know. So a few years after, uh, several years, actually, after I was out of college, I was at home with my mom and dad, and, and they said to me, my dad told me, he said, you know, honey, one day there's going to be a procedure, a surgery that can fix your stomach, that can, a plastic surgery, of, he didn't know it was plastic surgery, but today we call it plastic surgery. He's gonna, he said, there's going to be a way where you can fix all that and, and make it so you look normal. And he said, you know, you think you would ever like to do that? And I told my dad without even missing a beat, I said, dad, I will never do that. He said, really? I said, absolutely not. Because every day that I get dressed, every day that I put my clothes on and every day, night that I take them off, every day that I get in the shower, I look at those scars and I realize I shouldn't be here today. But somebody didn't give up on me because I have a purpose in this life. I know that I made it. Those scars of something that I came through, I came through the other side. They may have been painful at one time, but now I'm in the other side. And I can say that today, that if you have scars in your life, whether they be emotionally here or in here or on your body, let me tell you that what the devil meant to take you out, God can use to take you over. Yes, he can. Because that's the God that we serve. I want to tell you this morning that you're not alone. You know, when I was 32 years old, I got a phone call that my husband died in a plane crash. And it left me with one phone call. I was a single mom, a widow with, three, with two little boys, seven and nine. And I was facing something I had never, ever thought to, that I was going to ever face in my life. And it was something that I went through over years but you know, and there, there, was, there was a lot of tragedies and a lot of failures, a lot of things that I did wrong, some things I did right, but there was a whole lot of years of struggle, of having to deal with that, and my children, my two boys, having to deal with the loss of their daddy and what that really meant. But can I tell you that when Kent and I stand and we lead worship and we travel all over the world literally and preach and minister and... Can I tell you that when people look at us, they have no idea what we've been through. They have no idea. You know why? Because God is faithful. God is faithful. Amen. We can go through the fire and it doesn't mean that we won't have a limp. But let me tell you, don't be embarrassed of your scars. Don't be ashamed of those scars. But let them be remembrances of what God did for you and where he brought you to. 
To God be the glory. That's all my true. Remember, how can I say thanks for the things you have done for me? Things so undeserved, yet you came to give your life for me. Will you stand on your feet this morning? Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.